Welcome to episode 736 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, September 11th. I'm your host, Paul Spore. I'm rocking a solo pod today, and I've got a pretty interesting topic on tap for you guys today. And what I'm going to be looking at is eight sneaky second half standouts. And I'll be taking a look at uh, what they're doing, how they're doing it, maybe what sort of changes we're seeing, if any, and and spin it forward to 2020, maybe what, what their outlook uh, has in store if there's something that you want to buy in on for this or if maybe it's just a a big second half and sometimes it's just kind of pointing it out and you're kind of like hmm that's interesting and you maybe don't have any action on it but let's just dive right into these guys and let's start with Kyle Seeger now i am starting a little bit at the at the high end uh or or maybe depending on how the meter goes the low end of sneakiness i will say that he's not as sneaky as some of the others I think he's been uh, so extreme. Seager has, in terms of what he's, uh, in, in terms of his second half versus what he'd done, not just in the first half but also last year, that I do think he's a little bit more uh, more prominent here. But you know, maybe you play NL only, uh, or maybe you don't have him in a league. Maybe you play ten team, and so he hasn't been as on the forefront in those formats. Obviously, I know only he doesn't register at all uh, with Kyle Seager being a Seattle Mariner. But uh, I just want to highlight him a little bit. He has the biggest... Actually, hang on. Let me let me fact check myself there. Right before I say that, I'm, I'm already like... It's the second biggest. So what I did was I looked at the uh, biggest gains in WRC Plus from the first half to the second with a few qualifiers. One, you had to have 100 plate appearances in each half. Two, you had to um, have at least a 120 in the second half. I think that's what I put. Hang on. Yeah, 125. And in the first half, you had to be under. You had to be under a number as well. I can't remember what number that was. I think it was 100. Should have probably written that down. You would think that I would. And, you know, I'm two minutes in. I could restart it. I'm not going to. I looked it up. It's good. We're good to go. His was the second biggest gain. His being Kyle Seeger. Kyle Seeger had the second biggest gain of a 78-point difference. The biggest difference would definitely not have been sneaky at all. And, in fact, uh, he was one of the biggest standouts of the second half at large, and that was Jose Ramirez, who jumped 100 points from 68 to buck 68. But Seager went from 77 WRC plus to 155. Now that's obviously just an encapsulating uh, offensive number that we kind of look at. It is not a a fantasy number necessarily, but obviously if you're carrying a big number, you're likely to be contributing in fantasy. And if you're carrying a really low number, it's very difficult for you to contribute. Obviously, the the speed only guys are capable of carrying a low WRC plus and still contributing. But it's really difficult to have a big WRC plus and not be fantasy relevant. So Seager has had that major jump fueled by 16 home runs in the second half. So um, now he didn't play a full first half, but he did get under, you know, he made the threshold. He had 163 plate appearances in the first half. 203, 288, 371. Now I mentioned that this wasn't just a first half swoon. This was coming off of the worst season of Kyle Seeger's career. And because of the trajectory that he was on, it was really starting to look like just a downward trajectory that was going to continue. You know, that was like um, the real beginning of the end last year. 
because he had that career year in 16 or uh, yeah 16 came back to levels that we'd been seeing him at so just to give an idea uh wrc plus wise it was 134 in 2016 it was back down to 106 which actually that wasn't that, that was actually below what we what we've been established with uh with seager from 12 to 15 he was at 108 116 127 115 so to date that was a full season low 2017 was at 106 uh he had a 201 plate appearance 96 wrc plus back in 2011 but then he goes from the 106 to 83 in 2018 for kyle sager so again he seemed to really be entering his decline phase from the steady eddie peak that he had and he was kind of a boring uh but solid and and quality player and so i think when you're going from that and and hitting that decline phase he just becomes like a fantasy afterthought so even though he still had you know homer and rbi totals that were kind of in line with what what he'd been doing um if you just compare the 17 to 18 seasons for kyle seager he lost five homers and 10 rbis but he lost 28 batting average points on an already crappy 249 batting average. So that was kind of the problem there. And uh, needless to say, he's turned it around. So what's what's been different? He had a or, or let me let me finish one thought here on on 20, uh, 2018. He had a big strikeout surge and a walk rate decline that also gave some realness to what looked like you know a fall off here and because it was that that sort of drop down from 16 to 17 to 18 it just looked like the the neat little decline uh if it had bounced around more maybe if it was 106 and 16 but then 134 and 17 but then 83 and 8 you know if it had bounced around like that i don't know that people would have been putting the nail in kyle seager's coffin last year Alas, that's where we were. He entered the season injured, further pushing him off the radar. So he returns in late May and posts the 203, 288, 371 heading into the break for 163 plate appearances. So, I mean, again, couldn't be further off the radar at this point. Uh, Kyle Seeger couldn't. But then he returns and whole, uh, after the break and holy smokes, he just goes off. I already mentioned 16 homers in the second half that goes with a 281 361 611 slash line it was a massive august but he's carried uh, a a pretty strong performance in september as well now the august was off the charts everywhere nine homers uh 323 average 1116 ops this month so far he only he's only hitting 207 but it's still at 944 ops because of four home runs for kyle seager it looks like the ball and a career-high 20% homer-to-fly ball rate are what's really driving him. Now, one strong factor that he's had throughout, even in the crappy season, even in the 2018 season, was that Kyle Seager does not hit the ball softly. He's one of the best guys at, at, at making at least medium contact. And uh, I think he was, oh man, I had that pulled up and then I did lose that before taking the note. But I think off the top of my head, he was sixth in soft contact rate going from you know sixth the best uh, meaning sixth lowest in in soft contact rate since i think it was 2016 was the uh was the time period that i looked at from 16 to 19 for kyle seager and just to give you an idea i mean we're talking 
Um, and including that 16 was actually his worst season at 15%, 13%, 11%, this year 11% again. So he just strikes the ball well, but there aren't massive differences in Kyle Seeger's game. He just seems to maybe be health, you know, health, um, the ball, like I said, the homer to fly ball rate. So that's, that's some good luck. Some things just kind of going his way. We're not seeing anything that's really changed. Maybe just getting back to who Kyle Seeger was. If he doesn't have the dud 18 and he, he bounces up like this on the heels of his 2017, we don't even blink. But the fact that he had that awful season, frankly, it was just a bad season. And maybe that's just you know what we have to accept it as and we get Kyle Seeger back on the trajectory of hey he's a real quality uh steady Eddie as I like to call him you know and he's not going to be a stud he's more of a corner than your third baseman but he's pretty darn good and uh I don't think it's going to cost much to buy in on this second half either Justin's running the two early mocks now they're not all done they're not even close to done uh most of them are really in the uh pick 200s in the 200s range and he's only gone in two of them so far two of the six Cal Seeger has with an average draft position of 203 so that's not expensive I mean that is that is a corner uh pick there with third base being so deep you're not having to put Seeger there so if you do want to buy in on this and think hey you know he's kind of back to the guy that that we were used to before 2018 I think you kind of could without much risk if it turns out that uh this was just a, a a flurry in the second half and he he goes all the way back to 18 you cut bait easily if he evens out more of being the 2017 season if all if quote unquote all you got was the 249 323 450 with 27 homers 88 runs or excuse me 88 ribbies and 72 runs from Kyle Seeger That'd be fine. I mean, at this point, we need like 20-something homers per roster spot. And a 249 average isn't nearly as bad as it was four or five years ago, right? Averages are coming down. So you can eat a 249 uh, out of your corner and, and succeed. So Kyle Seeger, happy to see him turn it around. A guy I've always liked as just, you know, again, a real quality player. He served me well uh, throughout many of many of his seasons, including that breakout season was on uh, a couple league winners for me, actually. So I've always held a soft spot for Kyle Seeger, and so happy to see him bouncing back. Let's move over to this next guy because Starlin Castro, holy smokes, I, I didn't even know about this, really. I, what I did know was that he was doing well because he continues to stay, and, and we still haven't even picked him up, in my 10-team head-to-head points league. Whenever I go on the wire, he's one of the highest available guys because it sorts by points. And um, and then if I do any sort of uh, filtering of like second half, you know, last 30 days or whatever, he's really at the top. Starling Castro is. But I, I did not know the makeup of this performance. Now, there's a guy who's actually ahead of him in terms of uh, WRC differential, WRC plus differential that is on this list. So I'm not going in order of that. I just kind of listed them in an order that I liked. Um, but he's fourth behind Ramirez, Seeger, the guy we'll get to later. And then there's Starlin Castro with a 74-point jump from 59 to 133. And if you had asked me, okay, you know, you see him on your points league uh, waiver wire, 
what is the makeup of Starlin Castro's second half surge? Why, well, of course, I, of course, would have instantly said batting average. Uh, you know, he's probably hitting the, the crap out of the ball and, and collecting base hits left and right. And that's really, uh, that's really driving this run. Well, it's a major part of it. He is hitting a cool 309 in the second half, but it's been kind of everything. Let's, let's dive in a little bit on it first, first, uh, before we really get into all the specifics of the second half. Starling Castro's a quintessential glue guy who, I mean, it will actively put a draft room to sleep when someone picks him. And that, that's how you know boring of a pick he is. Nobody cares. They're just like, oh, he took Starling Castro. I'm going to get back to my nap before my pick is up. Uh, because that's just kind of how he's fallen into. Part of that is being in Miami the last few years. Uh, but that's actually, uh, pardon me, I thought it was longer. That's actually only been this year and last year. So it's not even that. Even with the Yankees, you know, Yankee tax and all that, I think he was still just kind of boring to people. Everyone's like, okay, whatever, that's a fine pick. I don't, I'll cross him off my board. You didn't really snake him from me. But you look up at season's end and he's often a late round or even reserve pick, and he winds up being a top 15 to 20 second baseman. Now, if you're in a 15-team league, that's a starting second baseman in a lot of cases. But even if not, that's a starting middle or utility. Um, his last four seasons of ranking at second base, 16th, 20th, 17th, and then 15th so far this year, meaning he's a perfectly cromulent middle utility option. Now, this year, it's been two distinct halves for Castro. Um, and, and I mentioned that specifically because of, um, I'm talking not just first half, second half, as we know it, split by the break. I'm talking about first three months, second three months. Like That is where the cutoff really goes. Because if you just look at his per month OBP, or excuse me, OPS, it soars from June to July, and it's been steady since. Uh, so starting in April, 640, 472, 590, 843, 906, and 1200 so far this month. So he's really taken off since the calendar hit July 1st. He didn't even need the all-star break to really get going. Starling Castro's been on fire. <clears throat> now, uh, add it all up, by the way, it's a 571 through June and then a 920 since. So what has he done? Well, he's lowered his ground ball rate 10 points to a 43% mark. His homer to fly ball rate has absolutely soared from 6 to 21%. So he's gone from 5 homers and a 230 average to 13 homers and a 324 average. So I'd be right that this second half surge is made up of, of some big batting average, but power has really been there for him. I mean, that that's that's a big number for Starling Castro. You put you tab him for 13 on a season, not for 13 and a half. So that's been really impressive to see. Now, uh, speaking of the batting average, he's been 63rd in batting average since 2016, minimum 1,500 plate appearances, basically the 67th percentile. And would you believe he's only going to be 30 next year? He's been around for so long. Remember, Stalin Castro broke in at age 20 and was hitting the ground running as a quality player, particularly fantasy. That first year, he was only a 100 um Actually, a 99 WRC plus that first year, but he hit 300, uh, chipped in 10 steals, you know, 41 ribbies, 53 runs. That's whatever. It was it was only 125 games, only three homers, but you know, it's like okay, nice little uh, batting average 
potential speed guy and then and then steals 22 and 25 the next two seasons after that anyway I kind of wonder what's going to happen with him I mentioned he's only going to be 30 next year he has a 16 million dollar team option which is not unreasonable but it is the Marlins they're so cheap I I, I don't know that they're going to pick it up and the way the market is I don't even know if he'd make that in a per year basis going on the market but he'd probably get like um I don't know what a three a three thirty type of deal, something like that for Starlin Castro for somebody to pick him up. Now the only problem, um you know, or or not the only problem, but something that kind of curbs his appeal is that he's not super versatile. Now I am seeing right here, which I didn't know as well, that he does have third base eligibility. Now Starlin Castro's had a buck fifteen at second base, twenty-eight at third. So he is gonna have the dual eligibility. And maybe teams will see, okay, we you know we can put him at two different positions uh, if we need to move him around a little bit more. Obviously, he came up as a shortstop. I don't know that he's really got the chops to do that anymore, at least not for a team that's uh, that's looking to compete. But he could become a utility fielder somewhere else, and I am kind of intrigued by that if he gets out of Miami. Um, <clears throat> he hasn't gone in any of the two early mocks yet, and I got to be honest, I. I forget how many reserves we're taking, but I don't know that he's going to go in the in the main part. I think he will be a reserve pick. Starling Castro, even with this big second half, is somebody that's going to remain boring for people. They're not going to be all that interested. I mean, these 77 ribbies, uh, he's going to set a career high this year. 78 is his career high in 20, 2012. He's got 77 already. Only needs two. Uh, the 19 homers is second best. Um, 21 back in 2016, so he's, he's definitely pacing to set a new career high there the runs won't be a career high because Miami's so trash he has given back uh, a little bit of his average as far as the career mark goes but he's doing the best that he can in the second half to rebound on that he's only hitting 269 on the season but as I mentioned earlier Castro is up at 324 for the year so you know I'm kind of curious uh tweet me if you picked up Starlin Castro sometime this summer and you've been riding this hot streak and he's been, you know, uh, a second base replacement for you or just a middle pickup or a utility pickup because I like to see these kind of big second halves of, of guys who weren't being thought of at all on winning, t- or, you know, on teams just because it stinks to see quality seasons go to waste on the waiver wire because in some leagues, I understand why he's not picked up, right? If you if you don't use a middle, you know, if you just use the uh, the standard first, second, third, short, three outfielders and a utility, ten team, even twelve team, I get it. If Starlin Castro isn't picked up, he should probably be a reserve in a twelve team at the very least. But anyway, uh, that's enough on Starlin Castro. He's been interesting. You know, he's had a weird ass season really weird season to me and i'm going to get into it more because even with this even with his surge jerickson profar has had a weird ass season um let me see he ranks by the way uh 10th on this wrc plus gainer list he's actually tied for let's see one two three four five six seven eight tied for the eighth highest at at plus 67 points let me grab a drink here jumping from 71 to 138. Now, WRC Plus does not incorporate batting average, but it is still shocking sometimes to see somebody with a 138 mark, which is a damn fine mark, 
and still only be hitting 250. Like that's a pretty low low number. You see that with more traditional sluggers who've got just a real gaudy uh, OBP and and their batting average challenge. So it's not unheard of. I think with this player type is where it's so surprising. Um, for example, somebody who didn't make this list but maybe could have was uh, was Cal Schwarber. He has a 41-point game for 97 to 138. So he's actually got the same 138 mark in the second half that Profar does. He's hitting 248, but he's a major power guy. He's got a 618 slug, so it makes a lot more sense. But anyway, getting in on Profar here, he started with a 495 OPS in April. But he has not been below 722 since. Now, 722 is not some great mark, but if that's your baseline uh, after a 495, that that's some sharp improvement. The the intriguing thing about the fact that he hasn't been below 722 in any month since is that Profar has two sub 300 OBP months in this time frame, and he's still managed a 722 OPS. Um, that tells you that the power is kicking in and actually doing some things for him. Now I mentioned that he's still only hitting 250 in the second half, but he has more walks, 15% rate, than strikeouts, 13% rate. And that has what's been fueling the 67-point WRC Plus game. Uh, let's see. Now, he does have 10 homers in each half, but he's literally only needed half as many plate appearances. Uh, I'm saying half a lot. Sorry about that. But anyway, so he's you know doubled his home run output here. Uh, he has a damn near equal batted ball profile. The real change is a 14-point homer to fly ball jump. Now, that's not all just blind luck. I know, you know, sometimes we, uh, as with BABIP, attribute that uh, or, or use that as too much of a, a, a luckometer. You know how I push back on that. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you've heard me say that like a billion times. You're probably tired of it. Like, we get it, Paul. You don't want BABIP used as a luckometer. Well, I don't want homer to fly ball rate used as, it, as one either. Um, because it's, you know, it's worth looking deeper and making sure that we're not just saying, oh, well, he's, he's been lucky. Um, it is a little intriguing, a little interesting that Profar hasn't really made a lot of changes with the batted ball profile, uh, to fuel these gains, but the difference has been selectivity. His eye has sharpened back up. Now I already mentioned the 15% walk rate. Now that's massive. In no matter how you compare it, but the fact that he's done it while striking out less than that at 13% is just awesome. Now, the differences that we've seen there have been plentiful. 5% five-point dip on his chase rate, six-point dip on his swing rate. So he's just been selective, not swinging out of the zone. Uh, two-point dip on his swinging strike rate, which two points is substantial when you're talking about swinging strike rates that live in like the 7 to 10% range for somebody like Profar. And so that's yielded the uh, the minus 4% range, uh, percent on his strikeout rate and plus 9 on the walk rate. That's uh, That's been really incredible. I do still get an uneasy feeling about Profar though because of his defense. Now obviously defense is not inherently a fantasy metric. But he's had like the yips with some throwing issues. He just doesn't look comfortable out there. And you wonder if that's going to curb playing time. He's still under team control through next year. 
with Oakland, his arm number shouldn't be so substantial that they uh, would non-tender him. I don't think so. I mean, he made 3.6 mil this year. I'm trying to, like, I don't think that they would pass on him for next year, even with a little bit of a raise. Now, he's he's just not going to get that big of a raise because, honestly, unless he p- continues at this clip that he's been on in the second half for the rest of this month or, or improves it, I, he's not going to reach last year's me- marks. Um, so it's it's going to be seen as a decline from his 2018 for Jerickson Profar. And so that should keep his, his rate, uh, you know, in check as far as getting a big raise for this year. So he's a weird player because obviously the, the shoulder injury has absolutely ravaged what could have been a, a really intriguing and amazing career. He is still performing. You know, he's been kind of a league average bat now the last two seasons. Uh, we'll see how he finishes this year. But he's had a great second half. And let me see, does he have positional flexibility? Let me check that. He came in with short yeah he came in with big time short third and first and second base in in leagues that only required 10 games so he had quadruple eligibility in the uh in the uh, more liberal leagues as far as positional flexibility but he had three positions in all leagues that require you know the tw- the 20 games however he's going to drop down to just second base next year because jerks and profars played 111 of his games there seven in the outfield seven at dh one at first base um so he's gonna be second base only which second base is not that deep uh let's just kind of give him you know a decent finish here in these last few weeks and call it uh 23 homers and nine steals, which is more or less the same as his 20 and 10 of last year. The batting average, pretty much no matter how he hits, unless he hits like 400 the rest of the way, is going to be well below last year's 254 because he's hitting 220 right now. I'm not going to bore you by trying to do the math of like, well, what if he hit 420 the rest of the way? What would that do? Um, it's going to be hard to get there. So it's basically the same player. There was some hype coming in this year. I think the fact that Jerks and Profar did not deliver on that hype and, and improve upon his season is going to send his his ADP back downward quite a bit. In fact, he also, like Starling Castro, Jerks and Profar, has not gone in any of these two early mocks. Let's move over to AJ Pollock. Now, he labored through a poor April before an elbow issue. I'm reluctant to call it an injury as if something new happened. Basically, what it was was a severe infection in the surgically repaired elbow, which is terrifying, by the way. You go under the knife, and obviously there are no guarantees, but the expectation is that you're getting things fixed, and it's going to be good to go from this point forward, um, at least as far as something like, like an infection. Like You would never think about that. That's not what you expect. You're like, okay, well, you know. I could get hurt again or something to that effect. But an infection that was really, uh, you know, hindering AJ Pollock flared up, cost him several months. He was shelved through the all-star break. Well, then Pollock returned on fire. He hit three homers. Uh, he hit homers in three of his first four games, and he has not let up since, including a three-homer game just last Friday on September 6th. All told, you're looking at 286 349, 565, with 11 homers, 
four steals in 172 plate appearances. Now, you know I like the full season paces, even though I understand the flaw in them. It's just to give you a more crystallized idea. Because I know for me, I hear 11 homers and four steals in 172 plate appearances. When I read it, I think my brain calculates better and I can kind of extrapolate more. When I'm listening, say I know I know some of you, you know, listen while you walk the dog or do chores or or uh, play video games. You know, I, I love flare, firing on some pods that I like and playing MLB The Show. And, you know, it's hard to visualize things sometimes. So I like to do the full season pace just to give you an idea of how hot the player has been, not necessarily saying that he's going to do that for a full season. So with that caveat out of the way, Pollock's second half for a full season would be 41 homers, 15 steals, 104 runs, and 93 ribbies. So obviously an ungodly excellent kind of season. Now, I feel like the contract and previous track record, plus this this excellent flourish to the, se- to the uh, end of the season, should guarantee his spot next year, as long as his health provides. And... Uh, that's that's of course the biggest if because it just simply hasn't held up and he's going to be 32 next year he has the one 157 game season back in 2015 for Pollock since then it's been 12 112 113 73 this year and even if he plays what every game left what that'd be like what 93 games what do they have left they have uh let's see here <clears throat> yeah they have 145 games played so there's only 17 left so at, at, at max, we're looking at 90 games for Pollock this year. I want to see where he goes. I, I've not been much of a Pollock guy in previous years because of the, uh, the lack of what I think is an appropriate discount for his health track record. I bought in a little bit this year, bought in a little bit to uh, the fact that he was really sharp last year, runs a little bit, getting on the Dodgers, which of course expectations coming into the year weren't was that, uh, you know, Arizona wasn't going to be that good. So I'm like, well, he's going from a team where it wasn't that great of a context to a team. Actually, hang on. I'm full of crap. They were actually good last year. or eh, They were okay. They were okay. They were 82 and 80. Anyway, I bought in in one league this year. Immediately regretted it when he got hurt. And I was like, I'm out. But now, with the way this season has played out, I think the price will be favorable He's averaged 176, Pollock has, in the uh, in the two early mocks, going as high as 144. I'm not paying that as low as 215. I'm definitely in on that. I think right around where the ADP is, 176. So give me something after 150 for sure. And, uh, you know, obviously the closer to 200 you can get for me with AJ Pollock, the more likely I am to buy. Let me look quickly at his ADP coming into this season just real fast here. In fact, I'm going to do it in uh, in the TGFBI. These aren't perfect TGFBI analogs because they're not two catcher leagues, but just to see since it, Justin runs TGFBI and he was running, he's running these mocks. Yeah, he went 108 on average, Pollock did. And, you know, because you were still play, paying a pretty, a pretty sharp price just to give you an idea. Uh, players around him, well, you have to rewind to April or uh, May, dude, March. Hello. You have to rewind to March to understand the uh, the stock of some of these guys that were around him because it's going to sound weird now, but like Aaron Hicks, Will Myers, teammate Justin Turner, then Pollock, and then just after him, it was Eloy Jimenez, uh, Matt Chapman, 
and then a bunch of pitchers. So you get the idea. You know, you were paying a real price for Pollock. Next year, not so much. Let me just jump down to 176 and see what kind of hitters were going there this year. Again, rewind to March to get your mind in that frame. And you're thinking Paul DeYoung, Brandon Nimmo, Eduardo Escobar, Cesar Hernandez, Luke Voigt, Ramon Laureano. Think about how you thought about those guys. I love Laureano coming in. I was paying that price left and right, feeling like he was a really good value there. So if you're putting Pollock there, in fact, that's a pretty decent analog uh, with a few differences, obviously, uh, Laureano's younger, not as big of a health concern, obviously. And, uh, but Pollock does the same kind of thing. Power speed can be a real dynamic player. I'll pay that price for him for sure. Uh, if he's going 176, uh, ish or later. All right. So next up we have Mike Talkman and, uh, like Seeger, I think he would be toward the, uh, to, toward the less surprising end of the uh, of the second half standouts but again or or sneaky was the word i think i used in the title um but again i i think he is still worth a, a deeper investigation because you know if you aren't aware of of alex chamberlain hyping him up and, and didn't get caught in caught up on that and um you know didn't have him on your team or use him in dfs it might have gone a little bit under your radar at least the magnitude of it right you might be aware that he's performing well but maybe just not how well it's gone for Mike Talkman. So, again, I, met, I invoked the name of Alex Chamberlain. He was very big on Talkman coming into the year. Uh, of course, that was with Colorado. He foolishly thought that Colorado would actually play a, uh, a talented youngster, although he's not even that young. So he kind of fit Colorado. They love older guys. Uh, so what you know? Why didn't they play him? He's 28 coming into this year. His prospect status has been kind of used up, wasting away. You know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but this this is going to be something we might look back and be pissed off at Colorado if this is like the beginning of say you know a, a nice little four to five year run for Mike Talkman. We're we're, we're going to look back and be pissed that Colorado wasted his his 20s letting him toil, uh, you know, in obscurity. Now, I will say, he wasn't exactly ripping up the minors every year, but there was some obvious talent there that you feel like if they had put it in in Coors and just let him go a bit, maybe he gets to the power earlier than he eventually did, which he he started to show a power breakthrough in 2017, Talkman did, in the minors. But... You know, I'm so sick of them, by the way, the Rockies. And uh, when I remember when Brendan Rodgers got called up, I, 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 I didn't want to bid. I'd already made the mistake with Garrett Hampson and uh, and Ryan McMahon, which the McMahon thing has turned a bit. And, uh, you know, thankfully I did hang on to my shares there. And Hampson's just sucked. So I, I, I can only go against Colorado so much on that one. But the bottom line is they still don't treat their young talent properly in my in my eyes uh, they know their players better than I do I, I'm certain of it but the simple fact is you can't tell me that some of these older guys that continue to play ahead of of this young up-and-coming talent uh, is fully deserving and you're you're talking to or you're listening to I should say the biggest Ian Desmond backer there is I, I can't quit that dude uh, even after this year I'm probably still going to take him in reserve rounds <laughs> 
because I'm stupid. But um, but yeah, there's no way that he should have been taking time from Tapia or, or even Hampson earlier in the year. At least give Hampson the, the full the full try to see where he's at. But anyway, let's get back to Talkman. He got out of that organization. We all know about the 52,000 injuries that hit the Yankees. Talkman got his opportunity. Now, he couldn't really find playing time uh, pre-All-Star break despite all those injuries. And and when he did, it, it, didn't really, it didn't really go all that well. However, he started 12 of the, of the first 13 games coming off the All-Star break and went 409, 458, 773 with three homers and 48 plate appearances and never looked back. Uh, absolutely crushed it. In fact... The only thing that could really slow him down was a calf strain that now puts the rest of his season in da- or no, excuse me, has canceled the rest of his season. There's another guy on this list that uh, could return, uh, and that's who I was conflating him with. But no, Talkman is done. It's a grade two left calf strain, six to eight weeks. It's it's toast. Um, I don't even know that if they made the World Series, if he'd be eligible to return. Um, he but he had an 870 OPS. Even after those first 13 games. So even if you take out that big hot streak, that it's his second half is not just built on that big two-week run there. Even if you just take that out, it was an all eight, eight excuse me, it was an 870 OPS. But put it all together. Since the All-Star break, Mike Talkman, 315, 395, 582 with nine homers, and a little sneak tip, five stolen bases. In fact, on the season, he was six for six, Talkman was. So I like the sneaky speed contribution. Nice little power. Great little second half flurry. Even add on what he did in the first half, which wasn't special. Just look at that. Uh, at that. Uh, bottom line is 277, 361, 504. And 13 homers, 6 steals. And that's in 87 games. It's about... It's about... Uh, even though the, the games is over the 81, the plate appearances are 296 so that's about a half you can more or less double that to get an idea of what what he could possibly do and if you're talking 26 and 12 uh from somebody like talkman with with quality runs and ribbies now here comes the difficult part the yankees probably aren't going to have 412,000 injuries again next year so where's he going to play because i mean they have him you know Despite the fact that he's going to be 29 next year, this clock's really just getting started. Um, He's under team control through 2024. Do they look to trade him? You know, can they sell high on this? Because I don't even know that they could realistically clear space. Let me see. Is, uh, Is Gardner done after this year with them? Let me see here. Um, Yes. He is. Okay. Well, that helps. But there's also the conundrum of Clint Frazier. So you've got Judge, Stanton, uh, Hicks. Oh, yeah, I, I was forgetting about Hicks. So even even with Gardner gone, there's st- that's still three right there. Although Hicks, love him to death, but not at all the bastion of health whatsoever. And so... Um, you know, we have no idea what kind of health he's going to have. Maybe DH, uh, is Edwin, was he? Yeah, he's, he's got a $20 million club option. I don't think that 
the depth that they've flexed this year, I don't think that they should necessarily pick that up, even though Encarnacion's good and and can probably earn 20 mil, but he's going to be 37 next year. Okay, maybe there is some playing time for Talkman then. I will be open to taking him. Now, if I'm in a league with Alex Chamberlain, it ain't going to happen. Although, it doesn't look like there's a big tax on this uh, on this performance because, again, I mentioned that the two early mocks are in like the 200s of picks. Most of them are, and he hasn't gone in any of them. Talkman has not gone in a single one yet, according to Smata's file here. And uh, let's see, we have eyeballing it because I don't think there's a sort. Eyeballing it, the deepest any of them have gone is like 230. So, you know, Talkman's still out there after after pick 200. I think he's free game at that point. You know, somebody took Garrett Hampson at pick 200 in a a draft. So if they're going to take that clown, I say as somebody who repeatedly took that clown. So I'm not, if it was you and you're listening, I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I'm, I'm more, uh, uh, mocking myself because I, I couldn't get enough Hampson shares this year. And boy, was he terrible. But anyway, Talkman, you know, you know, Alex is going to talk him up. He's going to Talkman him up. Okay. I'm going to leave. That was terrible. I shouldn't have said that. I'm out. Sorry. Just kidding. I'm back. Uh, but you know, he, you know, Alex is going to talk him up and if it looks like he's going to have playing time, then Talkman, the Yankee tax will kick into high gear. So if you do draft early for anything that counts, take advantage of that with Talkman and, and scoop him late. In which case, you know, I think I'm going to try to take him at the Arizona fall. Like, I hope I'm in Alex's league. And I can play chicken with him. And I will gladly do that. And we will see, you know, who's who's going to take Talkman. Uh, because we do that 50-round draft and we do the first 23 rounds out there in Arizona and then the other 27 online. And it's just a 50-round draft. And it counts, though. It, it's not a mock. It, it actually plays. So uh, I've spent a lot of time on Talkman. You're welcome, Alex. That, that whole section was for you. Uh, next on our list is Jesse Winker. Now, I'm not a, you know, I'm not even going to make the comparison. Why? Because I was just going to give like 42 caveats on this comparison. And then I realized with all those caveats, it's not the same at all. Anyway, Jesse Winker, somebody I really liked coming into the season. Um, I was intrigued by some of the power that he started to show late last year. I thought he could parlay that. He's got a great hit tool, knows what he's doing up at the dish. I thought we could start to see a little bit of a uh, little bit of punch. You know, he lost, or I should say toward the end of his season last year, to be more clear. I think I said toward the end, toward the second half. He didn't get to play the second half. Um, his season was cut short early, but he did hit six homers in like his last 40 games or something for Jesse Winker in 2018. And I was like, okay, we saw a little power flurry there. Um, we didn't know that the ball was going to be flying out like this. But take a guy with quality hit tool, starting to tap into a little bit of power, going into his age 25. I liked him. I got him. I wanted him in a lot of leagues. And uh, it didn't quite pan out how I wanted. He did club 16 homers in 87 games this year. 
before again being cut short by injury, a cervical strain. Um, no, that's who it was who was maybe going to return. Uh, Winker might return at the end of September, but I think his season's effectively over. But he did hit 16 homers in in 384 plate appearances, so he hit nine more homers in only 50 more plate appearances than last year. 326, 419, 543, and six homers in his last 50 games before this injury for Winker. That's not bad, you know? I, 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 like, I liked seeing the flurry, and he was getting going. Um, I was using him more regularly in, in the leagues that I did have him. I actually remember spotting him for a for a week in, in that head-to-head uh, points league I talk about a lot because obviously with his walks, that helps too. Uh, for context, by the way, he went 230, 309, 425 with 10 homers in his first 62 games for Jesse Winker. So he hit just four fewer homers in 12 fewer games with a much better line. And uh, the cervical strain cut him down on August 18th. Like I said, it might effectively end the season. But he's still going to be just 26 going into next year. Um, if you look at his 18 and 19 combined, that's essentially a full season. And he hit 283, 379, 454 with 23 homers. Now, 23 homers is not knocking any socks off these days. I mentioned earlier in the show, you need about 20 homers per roster spot at this point to compete. But I get a little bit of a David Peralta feel here. You guys know how much I loved David Peralta. This year, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of out after another shoulder injury, but... Um, Late batting average with some power potential is difficult to find. It's just not all that available. But that's exactly what Winker offers. And uh, it's going to be very late, I think. Again, hasn't gone in any of the mocks. So we're talking after pick 200. Probably going to start to go after pick 250. Let me see where he went this year. Winker went 195 on average in the TGFBI. So he's going to go later than that already. And he could go quite a bit later, to be honest. Let me drop drop down to 250 and just get an idea of who was going around 250 this year. Pardon me. That's where you're getting... uh, Oh, Jose Martinez. That's actually kind of perfect. He was going 250 on the button. And that's kind of a perfect comp in terms of the offense that they that they put out. Martinez, you're getting some late batting average with some power upside. Now the power didn't really click through this year. Neither did the batting average, but off of the off of the 305 average and 17 homers that he put up last year, you were drafting Jose Martinez, thinking, "Hey, I'm going to get some batting average, and maybe he taps into some power." And frankly, if I told you that the ball was going to be like this, if all I gave you was, "Hey," Here's what Jose Martinez did last year. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll guarantee you 500 plate appearances. And the ball is going to be freaking insane. I think Jose Martinez would have gone at least 50 picks higher. 
probably 75. Probably 75 picks higher. Just with that knowledge, I'll give you I'll give you a minimum 500 plate appearances, which, which actually would have been 90 fewer than he had last year. He had a, he had 590 last year. Jose Martinez did, but he hit 305 with 17 homers. So I'm going to shave off 90 plate appearances, but not necessarily. I'm, I'm just saying a, a minimum of 500 plate appearances. He'll he'll because playing time was a concern. That's why I'm that's why I'm harping on that because playing time was a concern. So I'm going to say I'll give you a minimum of 500. The ball is going to be absolutely wild. Where do you want Jose Martinez? Because you're thinking, I can get 25 homers, 3-something batting average, 85-plus ribbies, 70-plus runs, depending on where he bats, of course. But it didn't it didn't pan out. Anyway, I got off track there with the Jose Martinez thing. This is about Winker. I'm going to buy back in. It is a bummer to lose another uh, or have another season cut cut short by injury, but I'm going to buy back in. Uh, I think the discount will be substantial enough, and he's young enough to do so, 26 next year. Sign me up for Jesse Winker. I, I don't hate what I got this year, even though I did not get full return on my investment. I've seen enough that I'm, I'm still going to buy, even with the batting average dip that he had this year. I think he's still putting it together. I think there's still a lot to like in Jesse Winker's bat. Take a drink real quick. All right, next up on our list is the guy I hinted at earlier as one of the uh, one of the biggest risers in uh, second half WRC+. Plus. He's number three on the list. I mentioned Jose Ramirez was one. Seager was two. I said, skip this third guy, and then Starling Castro was four. This third guy was Francisco Mejia. A 77-point jump from 54 to 131. Now, basically what we saw here was a commitment to airing it out that paid off for him. He had a 16-point jump in fly ball rate to 46%. It's even more pronounced when you look at the second half where it was at 52%, which is when he went off. Here's the here's the downside though. It was essentially a good month of work. 309, 361, 527 with six homers in August. And that was 119 plate appearances. Well, Mejia only has 222 on the season. So that's more than half of his work. That's 54 percent of his of his season work so why do i still bring him up well because he's gonna be just 24 next year and he's catcher eligible and so even that small sample there this is a former big time prospect that people have been waiting to see something from they finally got their glimpse now unfortunately he was cut short and he's he's likely done as well um oblique strain you're going to put him on the shelf till the end of the month and and probably just the rest of the year. I mean, here's we've actually seen guys return. Um, I wish I could remember the names offhand, but I remember a couple guys last year that I, I thought were going to be like this, and I was like, ah, they won't bring them back. And they literally bought the guys back for like four games because I could see it, though, right? I mean, you don't have to protect some 
23 year old, uh, if he's healthy and saying, you know, he's ready to go, he's passed all the protocols that you need to get back on the field, even if there's only four or five games left, he's going to want to get out there and uh, I want to play, you know, so I, I get I get that. Um, but yeah, even even though the volume here is so low with Mejia, I still brought him up be, because of the catcher eligibility. So many of us play in two catcher leagues. I know a lot of you have loved Mejia and, like I said, been waiting for something. I've been more tepid on Mejia. I was intrigued to see this, though. It did come with with a little bit of a fly ball commitment that uh, that kind of drove the performance. I am still a little perturbed by uh, by the plate skills, although now listen, I was not going to go off of last year's sixty-two plate appearances and say, "Oh, Mejia is now a thirty-one percent strikeout guy." He'd never shown anything like that in the minors. In fact, he quite the opposite. He was a big-time contact guy. Batting average was his thing, and he, he um, you know. So I, I wasn't like, oh, this guy's a big strikeout guy now. It was rough to see that, but I was like, oh, he, he can he can improve on that. 22% this year um, with a 5% walk rate. I'd still like to see those inch closer together. Or at the very least, just bring the strikeout rate down. I don't need you to walk that much if you're if you're striking out in the teens. Give me, you know, 17% strikeout rate. I won't hamper you on your walk rate. So Mejia, um, he still hasn't gone. Now this is a the two early mocks are one catcher. That's why they're not a perfect analog for TGFBI. Uh, Justin made them one catcher. That was probably just to s- save us from having to dig into the catcher pool for a second guy. <laughs> At this point in the year, we're gonna have to do it so much in the in the winter and into the uh, into the spring that he wanted to give us a little bit of a reprieve there. So Mejia won't go. Uh, he probably won't go in these drafts. Maybe as a reserve, if somebody wants to draft a reserve catcher for some reason, but uh, or you know, just to like kind of plant their flag, like, hey, he is my guy, and you know, if this were a two catcher league, I would take him. Whatever, so something to that effect, perhaps. Uh, all right, my last guy here is Mike Yastrzemski. This is definitely another one that uh, you might be aware of, but but. Unless you've dug in or had him on your team, you might not be fully in tune with what he's done. I still think he's sneakier than um, who are the other ones I mentioned? Seeger and Talkman. Um, I think those two were more high profile. But Yastrzemski kind of had that that big what was it like week or two run where he was where he and the Giants were on fire and so he was getting some hype so you might be familiar with him from that end but you might think it was just like it was just that run in fact I've got it pulled up here um it was it was fueled by a Colorado series huge surprise um <clears throat> but it was a nine game stretch where he put up four homers and a 1252 OPS now it's not like that's that's all he's done, though. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski's had a quality second half. In fact, just since that, take out those numbers, just since that, since July 23rd, he's got 10 homers and a 9-11 OPS. So, I mean, and that's a 39-homer full-season pace. So he's, he's continued to stay strong. It wasn't just a, a you know, a, a little flourish. He did have some pop before the break 
with five homers and a 183 ISO and 130 plate appearances, but it really wasn't anything to write home about as far as what he was doing overall. But he's been awesome since. Uh, add everything up, 14 homers, 286, 351, 593 in 212 plate appearances. He has a 926 OPS in both July and August. For some reason, I am always fascinated when guys have the same exact OPS in a month. It's just it's just weird, especially if they don't have the same exact plate appearance count. It's just it, it's interesting, right? Numerology stuff. It's it's always fun. Um, but yeah, at 88 plate appearances in July, put up a 926, gets 101 in August, puts up another 926, and the makeup of the two were vastly different. Uh, 353, 570, and then 317, 609. So far this month, in just 32 plate appearances, he has an 888, and even that is a different makeup. The powers dipped down to 481 on the slug, but the OBP has surged. To 406. So Yastrzemski is uh, is dynamic, man. He's all over the map with how he put how he's putting together these OPS totals. Here's the thing, though. I'm gonna take a drink. That wasn't the thing. Super thirsty this morning. I apologize. I had some breakfast tacos before I I recorded this. They probably have a high salt content that has me a little extra, a little extra thirsty. Uh, no, but the thing of it is, is that he's similar to Talkman in that he's not a prospect of uh, of any sort. And just because he's popped up late, you know, sometimes when these guys pop up late, we, we think like, oh, he's young, he's new on the scene, he's fresh. Well, he's 29. Yastrzemski's 29 years old next year. So this is not some growth prospect. This is This is who he is. That said, to counter that, unlike Talkman... Yastrzemski should have playing time for days because what the hell would San Francisco, you know, why would they want to curb the playing time? What do they got going that they can't play, that they can't play Yastrzemski and just give him free and clear playing time? Even if someone like Jalen Davis like breaks camp and goes off with them, it should be Yastrzemski in left, Pilar in center. Actually, I'm not sure if Pilar is still with them after this year. Uh, but Yastrzemski, Pilar, Davis. In fact, let me check on the Pilar thing. If you do not know, on the roster resource pages now, at the top, uh, where all the teams are listed, just above that, there's a tab for depth charts and a tab for payroll. You can now click payroll, click the team, and you get amazing data on payroll. It's freaking sweet. And, uh, you know, I know some of you are like me. Listen, I'm a company man. Shouts to uh, Matthew Barry on that. But I'm a company man. I use Fangraphs for everything that I possibly can. But I also go to f- Baseball Reference a lot. I-, I don't think Dave would kill me for saying that that's, that's a fantastic website in its own right. But if I get stuff in-house, I'm going to stay in-house. One of the things I had trouble getting in-house was payroll information, contract data. We've got that now. And it's freaking sweet. Uh, but anyway, Pilar. Oh, Pilar is is uh still in arb next year so he'll still be around but anyway that shouldn't hinder yastrzemski yastrzemski should still be in left field playing all the time against righties and a lot of time against lefties give give him the opportunity i think he's earned himself um a good amount of playing time against lefties 
I understand 73 plate appearances, no matter how good, uh, are not definitive that he can be a lefty-lefty hitter. But he did put up a 951 OPS with four homers. So even understanding that it doesn't mean that he is now a, a lefty killer for Yastrzemski, it's enough to say, hey, you're going to play regularly against lefties and we'll give you the odd off day against them. And the, the another nice little bonus factor here is that a large majority of Yastrzemski's playing time has been spent in the first and second slots in the batting order. And if they do that again next year, I mean, volume alone. Look, I'll take the number one hitter on Miami. I picked up Garrett Cooper in a bunch of leagues because he's batting second all the time out there. And, and and also hitting well, by the way. But I'm just saying like that that sort of volume at the top of a lineup, even a crummy one, is valuable. Giants fans, I think you understand. You guys aren't going to be that good next year. You weren't that good this year. We all knew that. You guys should have sold. That's neither here nor there. But uh, if Yastrzemski's leading off or batting second with regularity, with this kind of pop, I'm in. Because the price is not going to be high or anything, really. And when when we say that, by the way, uh, speaking for the industry at large, when we say it doesn't cost anything or it's quote-unquote free, the idea is, you know, once you get past a certain pick, the thresholds may differ from person to person, but for me, like, once you get past pick 200, if that pick flops, it does not hurt me, hence free. Obviously, it's not literally free. You are using that draft capital. But the expected return on investment is so low that it doesn't take much for the player to uh, to be a boon. And and if, if they happen to be a bane, shouts to Patrick McDavid on Baseball HQ, then we just move, move along very easily. Um, <clears throat> so that's Mike Yastrzemski. And he hasn't gone in any of the two early mocks. And uh, I don't think he's going to go until the late 200s, early 300s, perhaps. And I think I'm going to be there to snatch him up. If he's my OF5, OF4, maybe. I I got no problem with that. I think there's some intrigue here with this pop. Now, he did do a lot of it on the road. Um, His home road splits, 800 OPS at home, 895 on the road. But 800 at home, hey, that's not too bad. It is fueled by the power with seven homers, a triple, and eight doubles out of his 31 hits at home. Only 244 average, 312 OBP for Yastrzemski at home. But uh, 286, 340, 555 on the road. So, yeah, I you know, I'll throw an OF5 at Yastrzemski without, it, without issue even expecting the uh, 19% homer to fly ball to come down a little bit, even acknowledging that a 26% strikeout and 8% walk rate are meh. They're not great. That's fine. Like I can bit, I can bake in some, some pullback on these numbers and still wind up with a useful player. He's going to pop 20 homers this year in a hundred games worth of playing time or 110 or whatever. Again, I don't know exactly how many they have left. Let's see here. I can do the math. Um, yeah, so they have 18 games left. He's played 91. So, um, 
even if he plays every single one, it's 109 games. And he hits a few more homers. He's got 19 now for Yastrzemski. I, I've belabored the point. You guys get it. Yastrzemski late. So to review, Kyle Seager going after pick 200. Perfectly cromulent. Starling Castro going to be going way late. Still just a solid glue guy. I'll be interested to see how the winter develops for him. If he leaves Miami, goes on a better team. Interesting power in the second half. Jerks and Profar, I was in this year, particularly because of the uh, positional eligibility and thinking that he was going to be able to build on a quality season last year. I am going the other way. Even with a big second half, I'm, I'm peeling back on Profar. AJ Pollock, you know what you're buying as far as the health concerns. But that's going to now be baked into the price for the first time ever. Like truly baked into it. It it had been in the past in that, you know, he would go 100 instead of 75. But you were still putting up a big pick. Now you're going to be paying 175, 200, um, like 150 at the high end for Pollock. So I'm in, particularly after the 150 mark. If you're around that 176 ADP that he's had in the two early mocks, that's when I buy in on Pollock. Talkman, playing time's a bit of a, a bit of an issue right now, but the performance was so strong and the sneaky speed contributions, I'm in. Jesse Winker, I'm not quitting him. Bummer that his season got cut short by the cervical strain, especially as he was just getting going. I'm buying back though, 26 year old with that kind of hit tool. Francisco Mejia, intriguing C2. I've uh, upped his stock a little bit in my in my analysis uh, as somebody who came in down on him and not really going after him. By the way, I, one thing I didn't mention when talking about him, part of that was the fact that I just didn't think that he would garner enough playing time because of Austin Hedges. And that's still going to be an issue. Unless they decide to take Mejia from out behind the dish... Although, damn, how much longer can you hold hedges with this bat? Now, part of the reason I was out on Mejia this year was hedges started to show some gains with his bat last year with a, a you know, plausible, um, uh, palatable is the word I was actually wanting to say, uh, a palatable like 80, or excuse me, 95 WRC plus last year. In fact, let me pull up the exact number. 90. Uh, it was, But for what he does defensively, 90 uh with some punch was palatable enough for for the Astro, or for the uh for the Padres at least not so much for fantasy but it was going to cut into Mejia's time if he gets a little bit more of a share or if they start to say hey we're going to play him here here and here you know he's played some third he's played some outfield either way his stock has risen a little bit for me with Mejia especially in, uh, only in two catcher leagues and then Mike Yastrzemski Playing time should be there. Uh, upper part of the batting order should be there. This power was intriguing. He's pretty much fully formed at age 29. Outfield five slash reserve pick. Sign me up. So there it is. That's eight sneaky standouts, eight sneaky second half standouts. Hope you've enjoyed this one. Should be back tomorrow with Justin with some 2019 viable stuff. Um, trying to balance between giving you guys stuff you can use for the rest of this year and stuff for 2020. Uh, obviously, some of this you could, you know, some of these names might still be available on your 
wires. I talked in my 10-team league how Castro's still out there. A couple of these other guys are too. So uh, in that respect, you might be able to use that. Of course, a few of the guys are injured. This was more of a forward-looking one anyway. So the uh, Thursday edition will be something for those of you who are still competing. And good luck. And uh, just want to put my uh, my well wishes to Christian Yelich out there. I'm freaking bummed as hell that he busted his kneecap. Obviously, it's a huge bummer for those of us that have him in fantasy. I know that's not the first thing to care about when somebody gets hurt. You know, I'm not trying to be insensitive about anything. I'm just, I'm always going to be bummed when players get hurt and and when the superstars are taken out of the game. Listen, that doesn't mean I don't care when like a, a bench player gets hurt or anything like that. But let's let's be honest. We definitely care more when a superstar's out. And I don't care if he's on my least favorite team or if he's not even a player that I I, I love. I want the best players out there all the time. Yelich happens to be one of my absolute favorite players. The fact that he's out is a huge bummer. And added, added negative, he is on that head-to-head team that I'm always blabbing about. So... They're in the playoffs, fighting it out in week two of of the semifinals, and uh, that's going to be devastating. But anyway, hopefully he gets better. Obviously, it's not for this year, but uh, for going forward, and I I really hope this doesn't derail what has really turned into an absolute superstar career. It just effing sucks. And, um, you know, baseball isn't the kind of sport where where it truly ends Milwaukee's uh, chances. In fact, that's that's going to be what everybody says, despite how often baseball proves that that's not how it works. That the one guy going down does not do that. Now, Yelich is kind of that next level where it can really hurt. But maybe, you know, maybe Travis Shaw recaptures some of his magic and kind of fills the gap essentially. Although, as I'm looking at it, it's not even just Yelich, though. It's the fact that they recently lost Keston Hira. They've been without Brandon Woodruff for a long time. You know, it's just one thing after another for a team that just can't afford to keep losing guys. So I think it does kind of effectively end their, their hopes, but they're going to keep plugging away. So, uh, yeah, sorry to end on a, on a sour note there, but uh, Yelich, you're the man. Get well soon. Thanks for listening. Peace. Thank you.